Good morning. Let's find our place and stand as we worship the Lord through song this morning. Singing out a great anthem to God to be the glory. Great things he hath done. Let's sing it out. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. We have scheduled a baptismal service on Sunday, March 12th. Please see Pastor Brad if you would like to be baptized or if you have any questions about baptism. The Truth Tracker Grand Prix is coming up on Saturday, March 4th from 12 to 3.30 p.m. This event is open to all children, teens, and adults, and we encourage you to invite your friends or family to participate in these events. If you have any further questions, please see Mike Murray or Johnny Martin after the morning gathering. Community groups continue tonight at 5 p.m. If you are not yet connected with a Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet nearly every Sunday night at 5 p.m. 
On Friday, March 10th, there will be a ladies cookie decorating event at 6 p.m. in the church cafe. This event is open to all ladies and girls 10 and older. The cost is $10 per person. All cookies, frosting, and supplies will be provided. All you need to do is show up and invite a friend to come with you. The deadline to sign up is Friday, March 3rd. We need everyone who is planning to come to respond to the cookie decorating event on Facebook or to sign up in the link. We look forward to seeing you there. Men and teen boys are encouraged to gather for prayer on Saturday, March 4th. We will meet at the Backyard Coney Island in Wixom at 8 a.m. and back at the church in the link for prayer around 8.45. There will be a Young Adults Fellowship in the link on Tuesday, March 7th at 7 p.m. Snacks and desserts will be provided. Please see Bradley Tice with any questions. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning on this Lord's Day. Uh, and if you're a guest, a very special and warm welcome to you this morning as well. I have two items for you today, two items of prayer and two announcements that I'd like to bring to your attention. First of all, Pastor Mary Argam this morning on a work trip as part of Wixom Christian School. Uh, so pray for them as they travel this week. Second of all, pray for the Mortar family, uh, Loretta's father, and that would be Holden and Cooper's grandfather, took seriously ill last night, and they were at the hospital with him. So please pray uh, for that family at this time uh, as they go through uh, those difficulties. Uh, two announcements this morning. First of all, the E3 series we just concluded, or starting points class. So next week, we're going to begin looking at the exchange. So if you have never gone through the exchange, if you're unfamiliar with what the exchange is, we encourage everybody to go to that class. So if you've never been, 9.45 next Sunday morning, Sunday the 26th of February uh, in room 403. The last announcement I have is another event upcoming. That is the Truth Tracker Grand Prix that will happen on the 4th of March from 12 noon until 3.30 p.m. There's a number of categories and ways that you can be involved in the Grand Prix, and we encourage everybody in the church to go to that. Even though the truth trackers are putting it on, we invite adults and anyone that would like to participate um, to do so. There's stuff for kids from three years up to five years. They will have a special race. Any of the kids at truth tracker age or teenagers have their own categories, and then there's also an open category for adults who want to put their engineering skills to the test and make a little car to race. So if you're interested in that, uh, that's a great opportunity to invite others to come and participate with you. 
If you're interested or would like more information on that, please speak with Mike Murdy over at the coffee station after this morning's service. Uh, that's all the announcements for this morning. So, Jeremy, uh, actually, sorry, I, I meant to pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house this morning. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, the Bible. Lord, we're, we're just thankful for its truth. And we pray this morning as we turn to it and as we study it and as we uh, try to understand uh, the truth of Psalm 37, Lord, that you would help us to apply it into your own hearts and our own lives so that we might trust you more, that we might commit ourselves to you more, that we may delight in you, and that we might worship you more with the whole heart. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do those things this morning as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was like, I'll definitely start us in a word of prayer, but you have to keep in mind, we spend time every Sunday morning praying over the service and asking the Lord to bless it. So it's, we've, we've definitely prayed, I promise. <laughs> Let's stand together as we continue to worship the Lord through song, singing about our amazing, holy, and righteous God that we serve. Let's sing this out. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else would make everything bow We serve a great big God that we can depend on and trust in 
for anything and everything. This morning, we're going to introduce a new song. It's based out of Psalm 46. And as we prepare to sing it together, I'd like to read a portion of that psalm, verses 8 through 11. Come and behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. We talked about this a little bit uh, in the past, dealing with God is our deliverer. But this morning, we're going to emphasize the fact that God is the great doer. He doesn't just sit around. He doesn't just hope things will work out. He is there for us and protects us and delivers us and provides salvation through Jesus for us. God is the great doer. And what should that cause us to do? Take a step back. Be still. And know God has it under control. I want you to listen as we sing the first verse and chorus of this new song. And I want you guys to join us on the second verse. Should mountains melt into the roaring oceans, the earth give way, or heaven's lines grow cold. Oh, mighty God, you are my strong defender. Be still, be still, my soul. For you Amen. 
singing this morning. You can be seated. appreciate you ministering to us in song. This morning we're going to turn to God's word. We're going to turn to Psalm number 37. Psalm number 37. And we're going to continue our series in albums of worship. One caveat that I want to make this morning before we even start is the last time I preached, I made reference to a Psalm. And I had about four people tell me afterwards I said the word Sam funny. So since we're going to be in the Sams for the next year, (laughs) I'd I'd like to get that one out of the way this morning. No, we are studying the Sams this year, uh, and our our series is called Albums of Worship. Really what it is, is it's a theology from the Sams. Theology is, of course, the study of God. Uh, who God is and what God does. And this morning, we're really going to focus on that last bit, what God does. But we're going to note that it's because of who he is, is why he acts and why he does certain things. And all of that commands us, and it commanded the psalmist who wrote it. They all turned back to the Lord with a heart and an attitude of worship. They wanted to lift him up, and that is the correct response uh, as we study God's word, and particularly these, this psalm this morning. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 37, is, Our God is the doer. And we're going to jump all over this psalm this morning. Some people have mentioned to me, hey, you got an easy psalm this morning. And I said, well, you may hope that it's easy, because it's 40 verses long, and you better hope that I don't keep you all day if it's easy. But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to go through the psalm, we're going to jump around a little bit, and we're going to see what it is that is the problem 
and what it is that God, because of his character, is going to do about this situation. Uh, For sake of time, we'll read the first nine verses of this psalm, um, but we will reference the rest of them as we go throughout. But really, those first nine verses capture the big picture of what's going on here. Let's read Psalm 37. It says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thy envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to path. And he that shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come to your word again. Lord, we thank you for the truths that are within the psalm. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take these truths and apply them into our own hearts and lives. Lord, that we might be changed, that we might look closer to um, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you would just work in our hearts and our lives through these truths this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I start this morning, I want to do a brief poll. Perhaps you don't get a chance to participate in one of these in church too often, but I wanted to see who has been paying attention to what's happening here at First Baptist Church over the last six months. So be honest, hands up if you noticed that the church bell has moved in the last six months. All right, we're probably about 50-50. Now, I will say this is not the first time the church bell has moved. It's got a history of moving around the place, but... This is perhaps the most simple move, so I want to tell you a little bit about it. I went over to the bell, I picked it up, I lifted it, I took it to its new spot. It was a little heavy, it was a little awkward, but we got it there. I will confess that I did have a friend help me move the bell. (laughs) And what's the point? We got it there, it was heavy, it was a little awkward, I picked it up. But sometimes in life... We take credit for things that we didn't do or contribute much to. And this this week I was speaking with Pastor about some power tools or machinery, things where we simply push a button or move a lever and it does all the hard work for us. And sometimes um, we think that we do a lot of things. We contribute a lot to what happens. But really what we're going to see this morning is God is the one who does Things He does so much in our lives. Our involvement is really minimal. It's God who is the great doer. As we come to this psalm, Psalm 37, we're going to see what God is going to do, and we're going to see the circumstances behind what he does. And as a context to this psalm, there's a couple of things that we can learn about it as we read it. You might have noticed at the very top of your psalm, it says that he's Psalm of David. David wrote this psalm, and actually David tells us a little bit about when he wrote this psalm in his life. 
In verse 25, it tells us, David says, I have been young and I am now old. And he is writing these truths as an older man, someone who has lived long enough to come to conclusions about God, about mankind, and about man's ways. The big question that David asks in this psalm is he says, Why do the wicked seem to prosper whenever the righteous suffer? And that's a theme that we see repeated in parts of the Psalms. We see it repeated in the Old Testament. And even a question that we might ask today, why do the wicked, those that do evil, seem to be prospering in their ways and yet the righteous suffer? So we're going to look at three groups this morning. We're going to look at the wicked, we're going to look at God, and then we're going to look at the righteous. First of all, I want you to see the ways of the wicked. The first way of the wicked is the wicked are prosperous. Uh, Verse uh, number seven says, fret not. Why should we fret not? Because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man that bringeth wicked devices to pass. Sometimes the wicked seem to get away with their wrongdoing. They seem to be prosperous in their sin. Second of all, we note that the wicked are prosperous in their wealth. Um, David mentions in verse 16 of this psalm, he says that righteousness is better than the riches of many wicked. Psalm 73 really captures this uh, in a bigger in a bigger picture. It says, "Behold, there are those, or these are the ungodly who prosper in the world; they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and I have washed my hands in innocency." For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. The psalmist in Psalm 73 is saying, hey, I'm trying to do the right thing, but yet it seems to be the wicked who are prospering in the way, in their sin, and in riches. The third way that David mentions in this psalm, if you look at Psalm or uh, verse 35 in our psalm this morning, David says he has seen the wicked in great power. And then he compares the wicked to a green bay tree or a green laurel tree. And Spurgeon had something really interesting to say about this comparison. He said, this, this green bay tree, it's kind of like, unlike other trees, because while fruitful trees usually go dormant in the winter, this tree keeps its leaves all year round. It's boisterous, it's big, it's loud, it's perhaps a little arrogant in the way it looks compared to all these other trees. But what David concludes is this tree that looks like it's prospering, looks like it's wealthy, looks like it's got great power. In the end, that tree will pass away. It will die. So even though it looks like they're prospering, it looks like they're powerful, in the end, David says, the tree passed away. I looked for that person that's described as a tree and I could not find them. I want you to notice that the wicked not only prosper, but they are plotting. And they plot against a number of different groups here. First of all, it says in verse 14, they plot against the poor and the needy. It says the wicked cast down the poor and needy. The prophet Micah, he came across this issue as well. The leaders in his day, they plotted against um, the poor and the needy, the vulnerable in society. And they were the ones that were meant to be protecting those people through their laws and through their judgment systems. 
This is what it says in Micah chapter 2. It says, Woe unto them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields, they take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. The wicked are like this. They are the ones that devise iniquity even on their beds. And when it's light, they wake up and they do evil things. Micah later says that these, this same group of people, they took advantage of women and children. And that should be a stark contrast for us because whenever we think of what James said in the New Testament, he says uh, in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. So instead of plotting against the poor and needy, God's people, the righteous, are meant to visit, protect, help the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And not only do the righteous plot or the, the wicked plot against the poor and needy, they also plot against the righteous. And this comes up a few times in this psalm and a lot in the Old Testament. It says in verse 12, The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. That's an interesting phrase, gnashing upon someone with your teeth or, or the gnashing of teeth. But when we see that phrase in the, in the scriptures, there's never a good instance where that phrase is used. It's always connected to some sort of evil or wickedness. In fact, Jesus, when he was speaking about hell in the book of Matthew, he mentioned five times and associated the gnashing of teeth with hell as a characteristic of that place. We see the wicked here as well in verse 14. They slay such as be of upright conversation. Verse 32, the wicked watcheth over the righteous and seeketh to slay him. And we might say, well, that's unfair. What is God going to do about this injustice? Jeremiah asked the same question in chapter 12. He said, wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Habakkuk said the same thing. He said, why holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? Psalm 10, why standeth, standeth thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let him be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. We might say, well, why? Why, like these people, why is God not doing something about the wicked? First of all, I want you to note, and we will look at this, that God is going to do something about the wicked. But let's look quickly at Jesus' teaching. What did Jesus say about whenever the wicked um, attack or persecute uh, his, his people, his believers? In Matthew 5, it tells us, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And Jesus goes on when he's talking to the disciples in John 15. Uh, in the upper room, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And that kind of brings us to our next point. Not only did the, 
the wicked plot against the poor and needy or plot against the righteous, but ultimately they plot against the Lord. This psalm, it really focuses on the wicked oppressing the righteous and what God does about it. But the characteristic is true because if these wicked people are against God's law and God's way of doing things, if they are against God's people, then ultimately they are plotting against him. Psalm 2 gives us the clearest reference to this. It says, Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves together. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the question remains, does this concern the Lord? It certainly concerns us as God's people. It concerns the righteous. Why um, why does it concern us? We'll get to that in a moment. But does it concern the Lord? Well, verse 4 of Psalm 2 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The Lord's looking at these kings, these rulers of the earth, trying to plot against him and his people. And it's almost comical. He's laughing. In our Sam here, verse number 12, it, while, the, while the wicked are gnashing their teeth at the righteous, what does the Lord do in the very next verse? Verse 13, it says, The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. You know, the idea of opposing God or opposing his people is very futile. It's almost like a child that's trying to punch an adult and get to an adult, and the adult just has his hand like this, holding the child back. It does them no harm, and it's almost, it's almost comical to see the child trying. That kind of brings us to our last point. Why should we not be concerned about the wicked or what the wicked do? Well, here's the end of the wicked. The wicked will be punished. And David uses extensive metaphors and language throughout the psalm to describe how the wicked will be punished. First of all, he talks about the arm of the wicked shall be broken in verse 17. In the Old Testament, whenever the phrase an arm is used, it's used to show strength or might. So they may say the king bared his arm in battle or the Lord um, used his arm to uphold. So it's a metaphor for strength and might. And here it tells us that the wicked's arm will be broken. In verse 15, it says, Their sword shall enter their own heart. So the sword they're using to persecute God's people is going to enter their own heart. While they try to plot against the wicked, they're going to be judged by the same method. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 3:11, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Verse 20 is an interesting one. It tells us that the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. I don't know if anyone has ever called you the fat of a lamb before. It sounds like an interesting phrase to describe someone. But the wicked are described as that. And really the point behind this is within the Old Testament Levitical sacrifices, the priests were not allowed to touch the fat And it was the part that burned up quickly into smoke on the altar. Again, an image of how the wicked, although they may seem to prosper, will quickly disappear away when judgment comes. There's many other references in the psalm to how the wicked will die, ultimately as a result um, of their sin. 
Verse 20 says the wicked shall perish. Verse 38 says transgressors will be destroyed. Six times it mentions the phrase that the wicked will be cut off. In verse 2 it says they will be cut down like grass. Verse 10 says the wicked shall not be. Um, When David was describing the green laurel tree, he said, I have seen the wicked in great power spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, and he could not be found. What is David saying? He's saying there was this great tree, this great power, this great man who was prosperous and wicked, but he died, and then I went looking for him, and I couldn't find him because he's dead. He's gone. Um, Verse 2 tells us that the wicked will wither like a green herb. I wonder if you've ever been to the supermarket and bought a herb, and by the time you get it home, it's already dead. That happens in our house quite frequently. But that's what David is saying here. He's saying the wicked will wither like a green herb. Their judgment will come, and it will come quickly. Job describes something similar. In Job 21:13. he says, The wicked, they spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly... They go down to Sheol. The wicked might have a positive outlook in their prosperity and their persecution of God's people, but ultimately in their end is death, eternal and spiritual. So what is the Lord going to do about this situation for the righteous as they live? Let's look at the doings of the Lord. David's presenting the fact that the wicked are prospering, but he reminds himself of four things that God said he will do. First of all, the Lord will avenge the righteous. Uh, Verse number 28 says, The Lord loveth judgment. Now we see that word judgment a lot in the Old Testament. And really sometimes we think it's, it's the idea of a judge bringing down the hammer and, you know, condemning someone. And in a sense, that is true, a sentence does have to be passed. But the idea of judgment here is the idea of justice. The fact that God loves getting the truth in order. He loves doing things fairly and right. So really we can look at this verse that says, um, the Lord loveth judgment. And look at it from the point of view of the Lord loves getting it right. The Lord loves um, being just. Again, that's in tandem with his character. Uh, Verse 6 says, He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, thy judgment as the noonday. It will be clear. Nothing will be hidden. It will be very, very obvious and clear what the Lord is doing and that it's right. And they, the righteous, they shall not be ashamed in that evil time. You see, the wicked will be ashamed when the Lord brings judgment, but the righteous will not be condemned. Second of all, the Lord will uphold the righteous. Verse 17 and 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. You see, the Lord intimately knows each one of his people. He knows them. He knows each detail of them. David, when he wrote Psalm 139, kind of gives us the the best picture of this knowing. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast known my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandeth my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest altogether. The Lord knows his people. 
Second of all, the Lord will guide his people. Uh, verse 23, if you look in, in our psalm this morning, verse 23 said, the steps, of the, Lord, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Psalm 119 tells us that God's word is a lamp onto our feet, a light onto our path. It's God's word. It's God that orders our steps. It's him that guides our path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Third of all, God will help his people. And he will help them in various ways, both in trouble and in trial. Verse 39, he is the strength in their time of trouble. In days of famine, he shall be satisfied, verse 19. And in trial, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds those who fall with his hand. Verse 28, he forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever. The Lord will uphold the righteous because he knows them, because he guides them, and because he helps his people. Point three, the Lord will reward the righteous. What else is God doing? The Lord will reward the righteous. David says in verse 26, he says his seed is blessed. The righteous seed is blessed. Um, and there's many references in this, this psalm to the idea of land and earth. Uh, God's people are said to inherit the land, inherit the earth. Verse 22 says those blessed of him will inherit the earth. Verse 9, those who wait on God will inherit the earth. Uh, verse 34, he will exalt thee, that is the righteous, to inherit the land. The righteous shall inherit the land. Verse 29, and the characteristic of that inheritance. Verse 18, God said the inheritance will be forever. Verse 27 and 29, they will dwell in the land. They will dwell therein forever. Really what David is referring to here is he's referring to the fact that God, the great doer, is going to keep his promises that he made to his people. And I think here he's referencing the covenant promises that he he spoke to the nation of Israel. First of all, that his seed will be a blessing as a reference to the Abrahamic covenant, that Abraham's seed would be a blessing to the entire earth. Second of all, it talks about land, the Davidic covenant, the fact that God promised Israel to have a king and a kingdom who will rule. There's comparisons here even as well to the the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. It's the meek who will inherit the earth. It's the blessed who are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of God, the blessings of God, are for God's people. And fourthly, the Lord will save the righteous. Verse 33 says, The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. He will save the righteous from the wicked. But he will also save the righteous from their sin. Verse 39 says, The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. The Lord will help and deliver them and save them because they trust in him. Now that's a really important last couple of words 
that in, in at the very, very end of this psalm, it says, because they trust in him, and we'll come to that in a little minute. But David's just saying here that God does these four things for the righteous. But that begs the question, who are the righteous and what should their response to God be? We're going to see that both these things are kind of intertwined in a moment. Recently, Emerald and me and Laura have been reading um, some Bible picture books, story books. And every so often, Emerald will come across something and she'll say, Daddy, is that good or bad? Okay, very simple. Um, so, for example, she looks at the serpent in the Garden of Eden and she said, oh, that's bad. That's bad. She knows what the serpent represents. She knows it's the one that tempted Adam and Eve, and she knows that it's representing Satan, and Satan used the serpent. So she's like, oh, that's bad, that's bad, that's wicked. She also has seen some idols in the book, and she's like, what's this? Is that good, or is that bad? And of course we tell her, yes, idols are bad. And then she came across some demons, I don't know where she found those in the Bible book, but she found a picture of them, and she's like, what's this? Are these angels? And I was like, well, they're sort of angels, but they're fallen angels. They're those that do not love God. So how do you explain to a three-year-old what makes something good or something bad? What makes something righteous or something wicked? Because if we're asking the question, who are the righteous? And then we come to scripture and examine that. You're going to see in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't make us look very righteous. We look at some of the other writers in, scriptures and, in scripture and what they said about themselves. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Isaiah said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips. Micah said, I have sinned against him. Even David himself in Psalm 51 said, I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. So what is it that makes the righteous different from the wicked? Well, you'll notice in each one of these verses, the person said, I, I am or I have sinned. I am a man of unclean lips. I have sinned. I acknowledge my transgressions. I am the chief of sinners. Each one of these men recognized and acknowledged that they were sinners. They recognized and acknowledged that they needed God. And in response, they trusted God. That brings us back to this last verse here in the, or Sam this morning. It says, The Lord shall help them and deliver them, and he will deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. You see, the righteous are not just a better group of human beings. They're not just people who do less bad things or sin less than others or are actually just perfect in and of themselves. The righteous are defined by their response to what God does. Let's look at that this morning. What is the response of the righteous? Well, David encourages the righteous to have a right response, not only to what God does, but also to the situations that they find themselves in. First of all, God tells the righteous, he says, you need to trust in the Lord. And that's a word that's repeated uh, a couple of times throughout this passage. Um, Verse 3 and verse 5, it tells us that we must trust 
the Lord, and of course, in verse 40 as well. And if you haven't trusted the Lord, the first step of trusting the Lord is turning to him and realizing, like these other men that were on the screen, other authors in Scripture, and saying, I have sinned, I acknowledge that I fall short of God's standard, and I need to trust him to forgive me for those sins. See, we all must realize that we are as capable as the wicked, as mentioned in Psalm 37, to do sin and in our opposition to God. We must acknowledge God for what he has done for us to be saved. That begs the question, well, what has God done for us? The scriptures are very clear. He sent his son to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, and yet die on the cross. Christ lived as the perfect righteous man. Yet he was the one that was punished like the wicked. Why? It was to pay for your sins and my sins. You see, the righteous, they trust in Jesus Christ and all that he has done. They don't trust in anything else. They trust wholly in Jesus Christ. There's so many similarities here in our our psalm to the book of Micah, and I encourage you, if you've never read the book of Micah, to have a read through it this week, particularly chapter number 7. And I want to show you what's happening here, because in the book of Micah, the wicked are prospering, and God promises to do something about it. But yet Micah was a prophet. He was the man of God, speaking God's words, but this is what he said. He realized that he needed salvation as well. Verse 7 of Micah chapter 7. Let's read it here together. It says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord... I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And Micah is saying, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy will see it, and shame shall cover her, which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her, now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the street. What's Micah saying here? He's saying, I deserve the indignation of the Lord. I deserve the Lord's punishment because I have sinned. But look at what Micah does. He says, He pleads my cause. I trust in God. I look to God. Um, I look unto the Lord, the God of my salvation. He's the one that pleads my cause. He's the one that executes judgment on my behalf. He's the one that will bring me forth to the light. He's the one that will show me his righteousness. And he's the one that will make my enemy ashamed. See, all Micah does, kind of like when we were mentioning the machine earlier and pushing the button, all Micah does is say, I've sinned and I'm trusting in God, but he's the one that's going to do all these things. The righteous trust God not only for their salvation, but they also trust God in everyday situations. Verse 1 says, don't fret. Why? Because of the evildoers, because of the man that bringeth wicked devices to pass. What David's saying is don't be anxious, don't be concerned about what the wicked are doing, don't be concerned about it. David even uses the description of food a couple of times. He said, I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, 
nor his seed begging bread. David says in verse 3 as well, Verily thou will be fed. It kind of reminds me of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus teaches and he tells us, Don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing, don't worry about what you're going to drink, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So instead of looking around at the wicked and their prosperity, fret not, don't worry, trust God. Second of all, we're encouraged not to envy the wicked. Verse 1, neither be thy envious against the workers of iniquity. Psalm 73 says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw their pros- the prosperity of the wicked. But look at what David says in verse 16 um, of this psalm this morning. It says, a little that the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. You see, we have to remember the wicked's end is death. It's separation from God. So don't fret, don't envy, just trust in the Lord for your salvation and in every situation in life. Second of all, David encourages the righteous to commit their way unto the Lord. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. And what is it to commit your way to the Lord? Well, it's not only trusting God, but it's also committing every area of your life and everything you do to follow God's ways. David gives us some examples of how we can actually do this. He tells us in verse 27, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Uh, We're encouraged to do good, verses 3, 27, 21. It says, The wicked borroweth, pay not, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Why do the righteous act differently to the wicked? was because we follow what the Lord does, what God does. What does God do? tells us in verse 26, He is ever merciful and landeth. Thirdly, we're meant to dedicate ourselves to God's word. Verse 31 and verse 30, it says, The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is God's word. Verse 31 tells us his tongue talks of judgment. Again, not judging other people, but speaking of justice, speaking about good things. Why? Because the law of God is in his heart. Verse 31. How often do you meditate on scripture or memorize scripture? Do you have God's law in your heart? If you don't, I encourage you to go to Steve Zachard's Sunday school class because he's teaching on this very thing at the minute, how to store God's words in our hearts and our lives so it can minister to us um, <clears throat> when we need it. God's saying, or David's saying, depart from evil, do good, dedicate yourself to God's word, commit your ways to the Lord. Thirdly, the righteous are encouraged to wait upon the Lord. And twice it mentions in the psalm to wait on the Lord. Keep his way while you wait. Verse 34 tells us that we are to keep his way while we wait. It says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. What is David saying there? He's saying if you don't see God answering your situation immediately, if you don't see God's hand fixing the situation of the wicked prospering, don't be concerned. Just keep God's ways. Follow his way. You see, David probably asked the same question, God, why are you not just sending fire from heaven and taking the wicked out? But of course we see that it's God's mercy 
and God's kindness that he is patient. We're encouraged to keep his way while we wait. So what does that mean? Don't take judgment. Don't take it into your own hands. Romans uh, 12 tells us a lot about this. Verse 17, it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Verses 19 and 21, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. In doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome with be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. David's telling us, keep God's way while you wait. Don't take things into your own hand. Wait on the Lord. Second of all, in verse 7, it says you can also rest in the Lord while you wait. You see, we don't need to bear the issues of the prosperous, the wicked. Um, we just need to trust the Lord. We just need to commit ourselves to him and wait on what he will do. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 that we can come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers rest and um, comfort in the waiting, even if the situations are difficult. So keep his way, rest on him, wait wait on the Lord. And finally, David encourages us in verse 4 to delight in the Lord. And again, this is mentioned three times throughout this psalm. You see, the righteous delight themselves in the abundance of peace, according to verse 11. And someday the future will be free of sin. When God casts his final judgment, sin will be dealt with. There will be peace. Despite the current prospering, despite the current persecution of the wicked, one day there will be peace. Why? Because it's what God does and what God will do. Verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of or the future of that man is peace. David also encourages us to delight in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart in verse 4. But will God give us whatever it is that we ask for? Well, here's the key. Those that have trusted in the Lord, those that are committed to the Lord and his way, those that are waiting on the Lord will be in the will of God. <clears throat> they will delight in God's ways, as is mentioned in verse 23. So if you ask in line with God's ways, if you're trusting the Lord, you've committed yourself to the Lord, then the Lord will, you will delight in the Lord and in his ways. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you delight in God's ways? If so, Let's lift him up. Let's worship him this morning, for he is the great doer, the one who does every good and perfect thing for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would um, take your word, that you would use your, your word, that, Lord, as we gather in community groups this evening, that you would help us to revisit the truths of your word and apply them into your own hearts and lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you um, in, in every situation we find ourselves, that we would commit to you, Lord, that we would wait on you, and Lord, ultimately, that we would delight in you for all the good things that you do in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand together as we close our service with our theme for this month based off of Psalm 93, The Lord Almighty Reigns. Let's sing this chorus out together. for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want His death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.